ahead, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 20, continuing on in our journey of the book of Revelation. We, uh, I titled the message, The Time for Reaping Has Come. And with that, even that title, uh, you know, I, I shared a while back when we were in the section of Revelation talking about the trumpet judgments. And as hard as it was to go through the trumpet judgments and speak of all of the, the judgments coming upon this earth and upon mankind, I shared that going forward that it wasn't going to get any easier. It wasn't going to... Uh, get easier as we get closer to that final day or this world does, but it's actually going to intensify. It's going to get harder for those who are still on this earth. I think it's important for us to know that we have a God that's faithful. We have a God that's kind and loving and merciful and gentle towards mankind and not willing that any would perish. That's the heart of our Lord. And we need to remind ourselves of that when we get into these sections that are hard sections concerning judgment and the wrath of God, really, that will come upon this earth. I've been sharing for the last two weeks from Revelation chapter 14 and remember, I've shared this both weeks that this 14th chapter, which is really, it's really a summary, or we might say it's a panoramic view of the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. In this 14th chapter, John saw three scenes that God gave him. Look how each scene begins. Look at your Bibles at verse 1. It says, John says, then I looked. Look at verse 6. Then I saw. And then look at our verse this morning. Again he says, then I looked. Each one of these was starting out a new scene that John was seeing with his eyes, a vision, whatever, how God was revealing that to John. In that first scene, remember we looked at the lamb. John said, behold the lamb that was standing on Mount Zion. And he saw standing with him those 144,000 Jews that had been sealed during the tribulation period at the beginning of the tribulation, which just shows again the faithfulness of God, that God was able to carry these 144,000 to protect them, to keep them until the end. And they're all standing there with Jesus Christ, even into the millennial kingdom. That is our God, the keeping power of our God, even upon our lives now. Last week, we looked at the second scene in verses 6 to 13. 
John saw three angels that gave three proclamations. The first one in verse 6, we're told that the first angel flew in the middle of the heavens proclaiming the everlasting gospel to all who dwell on the earth, every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people were hearing this gospel. That's our God. He's not willing that any would perish. He loves his creation. And the gospel again, this everlasting gospel, was going out by this angel to everyone on earth. We also read in verse 8, when the second angel followed that, he flew through the heavens declaring that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city. And it tells us why, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so it was almost like heaven erupting in the moment as Babylon falls. And we're going to see that as we go further into Revelation, the fall of Babylon. That world system, if you want to say, that has corrupted and will corrupt mankind even during the tribulation period. And then in verse 9, the third angel flies with, and with a loud voice he begins to warn those who would worship the beast, the Antichrist, and those who would receive his mark on their forehead or on their hand. And then he says in verse 10, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God who is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. That's harsh. It's hard. And that's what this world and those that are still dwelling on this earth after the rapture of the church, that's what this world is going to experience. That follows even these, and what's going to follow even that is what we're going to get into in the next chapter. Chapter 15 and chapter 16 of Revelation is going to be that last set of seven plagues that are going to come upon this earth. They're called the bold judgments. And if you think things were bad back in the trumpet judgments, the bull judgments are even going to be more severe. I want to share before we get into our text this morning. Because I think these times are hard. Quite often churches even shy away from teaching the book of Revelation because of the harshness of the things that are in it. But I believe that we need to know the end of all things. We need to know what God has already planned out for the end of all things. But this is something that Billy Graham, he wrote. The question is, is God's love greater than his judgments? Is the question. This is what he wrote. We must understand that the Lord is tender and merciful and full of compassion. In fact, he is the source of these attributes 
that human beings only have a small measure, but he is also the God of justice, the God of holiness, and the God of wrath. Many people have a character of God. They do not see God in all of his wholeness. We glibly quote John 3.16, but we forget to quote the following verse. He who does not believe is condemned already. John 3.18. Compassion is not complete in itself, but must be accompanied by inflexible justice and wrath against sin and a desire for holiness. God stirs, what God stirs, God, uh, what, excuse me, let me do it, say it again. What stirs God most is not physical suffering, but sin. All too often, we are more afraid of physical pain than of moral wrong. The cross is the standing evidence of the fact that holiness is a principle for which God would die. God cannot clear the guilty until atonement is made. Mercy is what we need, and that is what we receive at the foot of the cross. I like that. We need to understand the balance between the mercy and the grace and the love of God and God's holiness, that God must judge sin. And that's what we see as we go through the book of Revelation, hearing of this angel proclaiming the everlasting gospel, yet judgment is coming and it's on the horizon. That angel that proclaimed that everlasting gospel, we might say, is the last outpouring of God's mercy upon this earth. Let's read in our Bible, starting in verse 14. Let's read our text. I want you to notice that in this, in these verses here, there's three more angels that are spoken of. Verse 14. Then I looked, John says, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one, sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel, this is the fourth angel now in this chapter, another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, that him is Jesus, who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Verse 17. Then another angel, this is the fifth angel, came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, this is the sixth angel, who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle 
and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This last scene in chapter 14 is about God's final judgments. In verses 14 to 20, we see the time has come for the earth's final harvest of judgment. The seeds, we might call them, of iniquity are now fully grown. The grapes are fully ripe. In verse 15, we see that the harvest of the earth is ripe. In verse 18, we see that the clusters of the vine of the earth, her grapes, are fully ripe. And we might say even that they're overripe. They have come to their acme. They are ripe, we might say, for punishment. Hard words. Hard to take in when we consider those that will be still here on this earth. But what we take away from this is that the time has come. It's time for harvest. But this isn't going to be the harvest of souls of those who come to believe. But it's going to be the harvest of those unbelievers who have rejected. The time of harvest has come. Remember when Jesus came in the Gospels. He came to this earth. And we're told that in Matthew 13, 3, that he came as a sower of seed. And now in Revelation chapter 14, he comes as a reaper. Not the sower of the seed that would go out to this world in Matthew 13, but the reaper who is now going to reap in the harvest of those who have rejected. The grains, we might say, of the earth and the grapes of the earth, they're both parts of the harvest. And they, uh, they both appear to be speaking here in, this, in the context of that same coming day of judgment. The picture that we see with this sharp sickle. It speaks of how the Son of Man, a title given to Jesus Christ, will come and execute this judgment. And he's going to do it in a swift, a quick in a complete way when that day comes. We can read about this day in the book of Joel. In Joel chapter 3, verse 11, Joel prophesied this, Assemble and come, 
all ye nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. This is at the end now. This is a, a prophecy concerning the end of the tribulation. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people, I believe, speaking of Israel. Looking ahead to his second coming, we can read about this also in Revelation chapter 19, which speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It says, now out of Jesus' mouth, this is that his second coming, goes a sharp sword that with it he shall strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron he himself treads the winepress here it is again he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty god jesus in the winepress treading the winepress stamping upon the grapes that are in that wine press. We see in verse 14, look at it again. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on that cloud that he sees sat one like the Son of Man. Now, this title, Son of Man, it speaks of Jesus and his humanity. We see this in other places in scripture. John, though, when he writes, when he says, behold, he's calling attention. Behold calls attention to what he has seen. He sees Jesus sitting on this white cloud there in heaven. He sees the Son of Man sitting there, probably, and some believe, speaking of that Shekinah glory that we read about even in the Old Testament, where his Shekinah glory dwelt within the temple. It was the presence of God that was known to be there in that Shekinah glory, that brightness of his glory. It's, it's referred to as the glory of Jehovah, the glory of the Lord. And so we also see it at another place. We see it in the New Testament. Remember when Peter, James, and John went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw also that Shekinah glory. They saw it in the transfiguration of Jesus Christ when he revealed himself and his glory to them. We read in Matthew 17, 5, that while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud. 
saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him, is what Peter, James, and John heard. Also in Revelation 1-7, John is given the revelation of Jesus, uh, his return at the end. And it says, Behold, Jesus is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. Coming with clouds. Jesus was received up after his resurrection into the clouds. And so in context, what we do when we see clouds in scripture, context determines what we're talking about. Literal clouds? Are we talking about something maybe of his Shekinah glory when he returns? We also see this title, One Like the Son of Man. In the book of Daniel, going back to the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 13, where Daniel says that I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. We see it here too. He came to the Ancient of Days, which is a title that is given to the Father. And they brought him near before him. And so those titles, Daniel seeing this same event that we're reading about here in Revelation. Also in that prophetic chapter, Matthew chapter 24, we see it again in verse 29 to 30. It says that the second coming of Jesus Christ, we read that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then we're told in verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man. There's that title again. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power in great glory. It's going to be an awesome day. We're going to return with our Lord in that day. I believe we're coming back with Jesus Christ in that day, the church age saints who are already in heaven. And then in Matthew 26, verse 63, we read, remember that time when Jesus stood before the high priest? And the priest, this is when Jesus was going to go to the cross. And the priest said to Jesus, I put you under oath, Jesus, by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Which is a title of deity there. Tell us if you're deity. And Jesus said this to him. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I think that probably shook his world in the moment. I am as you say. I am deity. And you will see the Son of Man 
coming in power in that day on the clouds of heaven. John sees on his head a golden crown. And this crown that John sees is not the Greek word diadem, which the word diadem in Greek always spoke of a crown of royalty. That's not what John saw on his head, but what he saw was the Stephanos, which was the victor's crown. Here Jesus has this crown that John sees upon his head, which speaks of the final victory that Jesus is going to have in the end over all the nations, over all those that would even fight against God at the battle of Armageddon in the very end. In his hand, John saw this sharp sickle. And this, uh, this sickle here was for reaping. It was sharp. It was for gathering. And it was for gathering up of those in the end judgment not believers but unbelievers and all of the nations that we've read about already who would come to persecute God's people in the end remember the Antichrist and his armies remember those that are going to be chasing after the Jews as they flee Jerusalem those that have per persecuted God's people are going to stand in judgment in that day we read in the, the next chapter, that prophetical section in Matthew, in chapter 25, we read about a coming day when God is going to judge the nations of this earth. You see, if when the Bible speaks about the nations, it's talking about every other nation outside of Israel. You have the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, and every other nation outside of Israel are the nations. And those nations are going to be judged. They're going to be judged by what they do with God's people Israel. Look what he says in Matthew 25 verse 31. When the Son of Man, there's that term again, title. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You see, those are the ones that are doing right to God's people Israel. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you drink? When did you see, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of least 
of these my brethren. You did it to me, Jesus says. And that's why we seek to bless Israel. That's why we stand with Israel. That's why we're Zionists. We believe what God has given to Israel, God will be faithful and they will retain everything that God has given. God loves his people and is going to save a remnant of Israel. But all the nations that come against her, all the nations that rise against Israel, they're going to come to this day of judgment. He goes on. Let's get back to our text in verse 15. We read that another angel comes out of the temple. This angel comes crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It speaks of God's long suffering, his patience. God is so patient with his creation. God's not willing that anyone would perish. That's the patience of our Lord. That's the long suffering of our Lord. But now it's come to this end. And it must come to this end. You see, if we want to get to the chapters in Revelation that speak of the new heaven and the new earth, all the stuff that we're going to sit there where there's going to be no more crying, no more... Uh, tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. If we want to get to that point, then we've got to get to the end of these things. God's wrath, God's judgment that will judge the nations of this earth. But our God is long-suffering, even now. He hasn't come back yet, has He? Because there's still someone or people that need Him now. This angel is crying out with a loud voice. Out into, uh, that comes out of this heavenly, uh, this heavenly temple. For the time has come. The time has come to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And then in verse 16. So he who sat on the cloud. Thrust in his sickle on the earth. And the earth was reaped. Jesus, who first came as a savior into this world, is now going to come back as judge. This world is going to see Jesus in a different way. He came as savior, didn't he? He wasn't willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He laid down his life for the sins of this world. He wanted to save mankind. But God must come back as judge. And he will, and that's what we're reading here. That God will one day, he must one day judge man's sin and man's rejection of him. In verses 17 to 19, we have another harvest. But this one is the reaping of the grapes of wrath. It's the gathering 
of the grapes for that final battle. We might call it the final campaign of battles because when we think of the Battle of Armageddon, that's just one part of the battles, and we'll get into that in more detail as we go further in. But there's actually going to be a campaign of battles that will transpire, and it will have its final battle there at the Battle of Armageddon. The angel, or these grapes that are now fully ripe, they're, we could put it this way, they're worthy and they're now ready for judgment. This angel, who has a sharp sickle, now thrusts the sickle into the earth to gather the vine, as it's referred to, the vine of the earth. And he throws it into the great wine press. I, I might have a picture, if we can bring that up, of a wine press, an ancient wine press. Uh, if you can see it, clearly it's all hewed out of stone. You can see the platform up on the top part of it near the grapes up there, that large area. They would go and gather those grapes and just pile the grapes in there. And then an individual or individuals would stand and crush those grapes. They would be crushed down. And the juice from those grapes would flow through channels and flow down into those vats where it would ferment. And that's how they produced. And so what we're reading here about the sickle of gathering the ripe grapes, throwing them in there. And we read about the Son of Man trampling upon the winepress. It's as if the Lord is there bringing forth his wrath. The picture of that is this wine press that we see here. He comes out with this sharp sickle to gather the ripe grapes. John, or Jesus, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 13. Remember, uh, he gave this parable and Chapter 13, verse 49, about the dragnet, that this net was cast into the sea to gather some of every kind. We read in verse 49 of that chapter, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from, from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be this gathering up of the wicked. There's going to be this time where they are going to be judged in that, in that moment. Something that this world has never experienced. At least it had to, you had to take it back to uh, in the days of Noah. When God poured uh, out his wrath upon this earth of a Christ-rejecting world and he flooded the entire earth and killed every living thing on the earth. Once again, at the end of the tribulation period, it will be in a different form. It won't be by flood, but it's going to be another judgment of God, the final judgment upon this earth. 
Look at verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar. Now that altar here is that golden altar of incense that was in that holy place within the temple. He had power over fire. They would take the coals and they would put it within the altar of incense to bring the incense to, to make it smoke within the holy place. This angel had power over the fire, which speaks of his power to execute his judgments that had been given to him. And he cries with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. It's that reaping. It's that gathering in that day. We read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, about the tribulation martyrs. Remember, there's going to be a multitude of people that are going to get saved during the tribulation time. They're called the tribulation saints or martyrs. But they're going to be killed, many of them are going to be killed for their faith, for their testimony, which they hold during that time. And when the fifth seal was opened, we read that John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. In other words, they were even in a waiting time, these tribulation martyrs, waiting for this day to come that we're reading about here, where God will then bring about judgment upon those that have even persecuted them and put many of them to death. Verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. We read in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1, another prophecy concerning this day that we're reading about here. It reads this way in verse 1, who is this who comes from Edom? Now, remember that Edom is that area that is uh, to the west uh, on the southern part of the Dead Sea. Remember, Edom is that region. And it's saying here, this prophecy, and I believe this is at the end, when the Lord comes back in that campaign of battles, he's going to come to the area of Edom in Basra. That's where Petra is located. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, it says, goes on to say, why is your apparel red? And your garments like one who treads the winepress. In other words, if you're treading in that winepress, you're getting 
juice all over you. The picture is this blood, this what's going to happen in the end. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? This is a picture of Jesus Christ coming at that time. I have trod, trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. Notice that's capitalized. This is Jesus. No one is with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments. And I have stained, I have stained all of my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart in the year of my redeeming. It's come. Wow. That's what that day is. And, and we can't even really wrap our head what that's going to look like. But just when I read this, this should cause anyone to be shaken at their foundation. The thought of that, of what that day will be when this final judgment finally comes upon this earth upon those who have refused to repent, upon those nations that have treated Israel the way they have, that God will judge them. It'll all happen in that day. The time of judgment has come. The time of God's mercy and grace is no longer being extended now. Think of that. It's being extended now to this world. It won't be in that day. It'll cease in that day. This is that other part of our Lord, that balance to His love and His mercy and grace. But He must judge sin and He will. The time of judgment has come. The sickle has been thrust into the earth and it's now gathering the vine of the earth and ready to throw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. We finish in verse 20. And the winepress was trampled outside of the city. Now outside of the city is speaking outside of Jerusalem. Remember that ground zero for this campaign of battles is going to be there in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. It's going to be in, in that place where it's, we're going to, this world is going to experience this return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the battles that will surround it. The wine press was trampled outside of the city. Remember, it's going to be within the city that is going to be that millennial kingdom here on earth that we're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. And it says, and the blood, and this is the picture, and the blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. How long is that? About 180 to 200 miles. About three and a half to four feet deep, if you were to say up to the horse's bridles. What's being said here, a lot of different opinions of what that actually means. 
Uh, some just simply believe that the blood coming up to the horse's bridle is a hyperbole. And a hyperbole is really an exaggerated statement to make a point, to make a strong point that what is happening in this day is going to be of such a great magnitude in the battle, in this final battle, that that blood would be to the bridle of the horses, 180 miles long. You can figure out what you want to put on that. All I know is when I read about blood being three and a half to four feet deep, that tells me that it's a worldwide event. We're talking about an event that is going to affect millions of people in that day. The armies in that day that have gathered themselves to fight even against the Lord, the King of Kings. The final battle, as I shared, not just one battle, but a campaign of battles that'll happen in a short period of time. We read in the book of Zechariah in chapter 14, verse 1, speaking about this coming day. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives, Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. Zechariah's prophecy concerning this day that we're reading about here. I'm just so thankful I'm not going to be here. My prayer is that every one of us that are here this morning, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No doubt in your heart that you're born again, you know him, you've invited him to come in to forgive you of your sin, you're saved, you know it, and you know where you're going when the Lord returns for his church. That's my prayer. And everybody that you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ, look for an opportunity. Seek to tell them about Christ, tell them the Lord's coming back, whatever the Lord leads you. But if we believe what we're reading here, it should compel us. We should be stirred, for that day will come. The prelude to the Battle of Armageddon is going to be seen in chapter 16. In Revelation 16, 16, it says this, that when that bowl is poured out by the angel, that the great river Euphrates is going to be dried up. 
to make way for the kings from the east to gather together. Verse 16 says, They gathered themselves together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. And most of us, even people that don't know the Lord, have heard that before. Armageddon, the last battle. Any of you watch the uh, apocalypse time clock? I don't. But I, it always pops up this time of year. Have you seen it? You know, they moved it closer. I don't throw that out for any other end because this is, just comes from a think tank where people sit around and they talk about all the world affairs and going on and all the nuclear stuff going on in our world. And they say, how close is that to midnight? How close are we to the apocalypse? How close are we to the Lord's return? Well, I would say this about the clock. In my mind, Jesus Christ and his return is drawing upon us. I'm not setting any dates. I'm, not looking, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm looking at our world. I'm examining. I'm saying, Lord, even so, come quickly. And the signs are there. They're around us. By the way, they moved the clock closer. In Revelation chapter 19, I'll finish with this, verse 11. John writes, this is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes, this is Jesus Christ at his return, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I believe that's the church. And now out of his mouth, out of Jesus' mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of, and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe, and he has on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's going to be an awesome day. Awesome meaning a terrible day in that day. When our Lord returns and brings everything at that moment, to an end, to judgment. If you're here this morning, as I already said, and don't know Christ, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us in a song. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, there'll be somebody down here that'll pray with you. Simple as coming down and saying, hey, I'm not sure, and I want to be sure. And I would strongly encourage you to do that if you have any doubts in your heart that you know him and so let's all stand let's worship the lord